0: One year, I kind of got an idea, you know, I want trap. I like to trap,
1: I like to make lure, and I like to write where can it go from here. They would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money handling fish traffic, but I didn't care. Getting the traps
2: out there is the hardest part, I think, with them.
0: I would leave the critters in the back of my truck
2: in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have
1: trapped these areas for generations.
0: We got two the ones, boom.
1: This is Northern Michigan, this is what you do. Represent Dave in a positive light. I'm gonna ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This is what I can Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes a Perfect Game magazine. There's actually some paragraphs on Perk Lennon's articles of Perk Lennon. Ads to information, trapping radios. We
2: are trappers
0: on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All
1: right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because
2: so we're working ahead of time to build big trappings. If you've got variables, the same with characters, you've got moth he started talking about these big plans. And most of my are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the
1: country in the world. I don't know. Get better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it's year. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the fur shed. This is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for listening in. It's great to have you here as always. We're brought to you by Kotz Brothers Lures, dot scom Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Kotz Brothers has a full line of trapping supplies. Check them out, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. On X Maps, use your phone as a GPS on the trap line. Mark trap locations, run tracks, scout using the latest aerial imagery and get landowner information on xmaps.com use the promo code TRAP, TRAP to get 20% off of your first purchase and I guarantee you start using Onyx you're going to realize that there's so many things you never thought you could do right at the tip of your fingers right on your phone it's just incredibly useful and finally we're brought to you by Moyle Mink and Tannery get your fur tanned by the professionals it's a low fur market what are you going to do with the fur you catch well could try to sell it on the market i'm going to try to sell some of mine and i know i'm going to lose a pile of money on it um, but if you only have a few items you know why not send that off to the tanner you can get that fur tanned if it's the first few animals you catch you know hang hang them on the wall preserve those memories make a hat a pair of mitts you know sell them you know you could sell some tan fur at the country store or the or the craft fair or whatever Get creative, you know. Find you can find ways to market for alternatively because the conventional market just it, it's in rough shape right now. I don't know if it's ever going to come back. It probably it, it it will come back in some shape or form. But you got to get creative. Go to moyle.net, m-o-y-l-e.net. You'll get shipping instructions there. You'll get a price list on what's it going to cost to tan your fur. And you can contact them at info, I-N-F-O, at moil.net. Send them an email. Let them know what you got going on. And uh, maybe thank them for supporting the podcast. And uh, use their online customer portal to get your fur tanned faster. All right. We have an exciting episode tonight. Clint Locklear from Predator Control Group. Uh, if you don't know who Clint is, then you're probably not very familiar with the trapping industry because he has been... A kind of, he's kind of a modern-day legend in, in trapping. Clint is the uh, originator of predator control group Lures and several books on trapping, a whole pile of DVDs, videos, trapping videos available. He just He's done a, a lot of work uh, in the animal damage control, predator control side of things. He's also innovated, created a pile of different products for the trapping industry lures his lures are probably probably the top selling uh, lures in the industry. Clint is a very has been a very successful trapper and is a very successful businessman so it's great to have him on Pat Connolly interviewed Clint and so uh, it was actually Pat's first interview. So he had a few things lined up. He wanted to start doing some interviews for the podcast. Well, um, uh, of course he swung for the fences the first time, and uh, his first interview went, came with Clint. We did have a few audio issues, but got most of those figured out. And you'll notice that Pat is a, a huge, huge Clint fan, uh, kind of a fanboy, and so so um, he is he's start a little, probably a little starstruck in this interview. You you may. Uh, Kind of pick up on that, but I think he did a great job of asking a lot of really good questions, and Clint was real gracious with his time and and information. It was just great to hear all the things. He, he's just a real down to earth guy, you know. He Clint's been podcasting w- with his uh, trapping radio for I don't know, probably closing in on a decade, four hundred and something episodes. So he is the original. Trapping podcaster, uh, he he's kind of innovated a lot of different things in the industry. He's kind of been the first to to uh, to to market for a lot of aspects of industry, and so he's he's really well spoken. He's kind of he's he's got the thing down. He knows he knows the drill. And uh, Pat Pat I think did a great job of asking a lot of good questions. So we're going to get into this. It's going to be a two part episode. Clint's going to start off by talking about his background, how he got started trapping, uh, trapping a little bit in Alaska when he got going, going back, doing beaver control down in the south in Tennessee. He talks about taking instruction from famous trappers and what he learned from others, the mentality of being a longline line trapper. Uh, they, Clint and Pat talk a little bit about introducing new people to trapping. They go into Clint's books, his... Uh, different things that he's learned on the line and uh, making trapping videos and everything else. So this is part one. Let's get into the interview with Clint Locklear.
0: This week on trapping day podcast, we have the infamous, the great Clint Locklear fur trapper, control trapper, lure maker, inspirational speaker, men's fitness advocate, podcaster, author, director. Is there anything you can't do, man? Jeez.
2: Uh, I can't do gymnastics. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I could that would be that would be something
2: and obviously I'm not of, I'm not very good at fishing even though I live on a lake no no
0: I'm not good at I'm not good at hunting I started I started off hunting and then I found trapping and I was I was I was ruined I was done that's pretty much the end of my my uh my hunting pretty much every now and then I'll go out and you know I like the the waterfowl and stuff like that you know a lot of action
2: right right
0: so, I want to ask you, and I don't want to go too heavy into this because I know people can find this everywhere. If you don't, uh, if you don't currently listen to Trap and Radio, uh, I believe it's the first trap and podcast that was really out there and available. Um, highly recommend you check it out. It's weekly. Um, and then also, there's the Man Strong podcast, which is more of like a, well, you describe it. Would, I, would you say it's like a men's? physical and spiritual fitness sort of podcast is how I kind of would describe
2: it. That's actually a very good way. I don't know how to describe that because sometimes it's just, you know, men need to be men. And sometimes it's, let's figure out how we can become men again without being so mentally and physically weak. So I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I've never really tried to put that in words, but that was per- say that again. So I can remember that.
0: Uh, it's a men's physical and spiritual
2: fitness prog- uh, podcast. Outstanding! You're hired. <laughs> I'll,
0: I'll be the. Uh, I guess I'm like the Jeff Dunlap to, to Jeremiah's podcast, so I don't know what I'd be on yours. i would have to step below Dunlap <laughs> and Chip. You know, I'm the, I'm the. I'm the guy they pull out of the bullpen when they're like, "Listen, we got to save this guy's arm or something for he before we, <laughs> before we go to the playoffs." <laughs> um, I want to talk briefly about how you got into trapping because I know there's a lot of ways you, you talk about it on your YouTube channel, on your podcast multiple times, but just a quick rundown of how you got into trapping. I'm pretty sure I remember correctly. Your first fur bearer, you were, you were uh, shooting beavers with 22s, right? For a fur buyer, for a country fur buyer.
2: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I didn't know that it was for the fur trade. I didn't even know there was such thing as trapping. Um, th- the first time I saw traps, my, Stepdad was trying to catch a dog. I know what they are now. They were Victor Number 2 Coal Springs uh, Square Jaws. And he was just setting them on top of the ground in front of a trash can trying to catch his dog because it was knocking over the trash every night. So that was my only <laughs> experience with trapping. Of course, he never caught the dog. And, and then um, being down in South Alabama, there was a guy in Columbus, Georgia, that was paying... I mean it was like 50 60 dollars for really big beaver and that's pretty much all the beaver down there at that time you know that's what it Mm -hmm. was so we would get in a little bitty toyota truck with like a a 10 foot john boat with a troller motor and a spotlight and 22s and a frog gig and we would just we'd see ponds on the side of the road the way it is down there and we would just pull off in there and float around and look for stuff floating, and we would shoot it, and most time have to frog gig because they would sink.
0: So I know that a lot of <laughs> and a lot of people don't know if you've ever. And again, this there's might be some statutes of limitations, but I've heard that when you shoot beaver, they don't always float.
2: That that's true. They don't. So <laughs> so you know, we would take them to the fur buyer hole, which I didn't even. I mean, I know we bought fur, but I didn't know have any concept that there was an industry wrapped around fur. I just know this crazy guy would look at them and he would go like $30, $40, $50. This one's 25 This one's 56 And right. that, that was a crap ton of money. I mean, today that would be probably the equivalent of $150 a beaver. What year was this? This would have been, see, I graduated 87. So sometime in maybe the 70s? Uh, early 80s early eight.
0: okay yeah because i was i was talking to a, a customer i do nuisance beaver control for a living and uh i was talking to a customer and i was like you gotta understand that you know when they are paying a dollar an inch for beaver pelts back in the day that was a like a you know a, a big blanket it's gonna be you know 65 maybe 69 you know inches when you measure it you know both ways i mean that's the equivalent of like 200 225 dollars today no well that was when I plugged into the inflation calculator. Right, right. But it's so inflation
2: getting a little out of hand, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, when my mom found my stash of cash, I was making more on the weekends and they were making it full-time jobs and she thought I was doing drugs. Not doing them, but selling them. Selling them, Because she just couldn't comprehend. You know, minimum wage back then was, if, if I remember correctly... The first minimum wage job I took, which was at Shoney's, was three thirty-five mm-hmm. an hour. Wow! So you know you go shoot a beaver for fifty dollars, probably average or forty-five or whatever it was, or you mm-hmm. can work you know twelve hours to make the same money. Hmm. I mean, so that yeah, exactly. th- that kind of got my brain going. This is pretty cool.
0: And then and then you really took up trapping for real when you were in the military station in Alaska, is that correct?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was up there, you know, I was, you know, we're caribou hunting and black bear hunting and driving all over Mm -hmm. the place, just slaying salmon and trout and and Northern Pike. And I was loving it. Absolutely loving it. And then uh, a friend of mine, which is still a good friend today, Dennis Murphy, he was a captain back then. He came in one day and was all fired up about trapping. And of course, if you ever meet Dennis Murphy, If he's excited, you're excited because you can't help it. I mean, he's just one Uh, of those guys. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I kind of get excited. And, of course, this is before any type of Internet or anything like that. And it it is kind of like I was mulling it over. Well, in the military, you you can think that you're going to be at home for six months and all of a sudden you're gone for six months. And that's kind of what happened to Dennis, I believe, because he he had these registered trap lines on post. He had lure, he had traps, he had all these big plans. But for some reason, he couldn't do it. And he goes, hey, man, you want to try this? And I was like, sure. So I went to the video store. I got Mike Lipinski's uh, Wilderness Trapping, which was about uh, Martin trapping in Montana. And I just mimicked what he did. And then I watched some Tom Miranda stuff and I learned very quickly that trapping in Alaska is very different than trapping in six inches of snow where he was at. Cause my snow right. was seven feet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. But you know, I was making 1100 a month before they took out taxes. And then there was a, a, Dean Wilson, which was the originator of the Manning nine trap, which I didn't know any of this at the time. He was paying $50 for Martin and the red fox I caught, I think they were about sixty-five. I believe most of them were about sixty-five dollars. So, right
0: when this would have been probably mid later eighties, early nineties, early nineties, yeah, early yeah. 90s. So that's no, still that's a decent amount of money back then.
2: Yeah, you know, because it was that's a I mean that, that was like getting a a forty percent raise on a monthly you know salary. So I mean I just thought it was the most awesome thing in the world.
0: And then. When did you when did you make the transition to land trapping? When you, when you moved back or when did you really start getting after
2: like canines? Um, see, I got back the it's, it's crazy when I think about it now. I'm in Alaska and I've got like a a disease to trap coyotes while I'm in Alaska, but there's no the, back then there wasn't any coyotes in around Fairbanks, Alaska. I think mm-hmm. there are now, but there wasn't any then. So, when I got out of the military, I actually tried to bring all my traps back, but my little S10 couldn't get it across the Canadian Rockies. So, I had to sell my traps in a boat at a diner in Canada somewhere for like 200 bucks.
0: That is the place to do it, though. If you try to do that at a diner in some places, they'll look at you like
2: you're crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they it <laughs> If you're quick. If you're going to. If you're going to play that game, you know, if you got if you got to unload some traps real quick, a diner in Canada is your safest bet. It it is. And <laughs> I, I took that money and I had an old uh let's see, the magazine would have been the paper one, so the uh, trapper and predator caller, but I think it had a different name then. And uh, mm-hmm. um, and I ordered uh, a bunch of number 3 long springs and and traps from um, the guy in Wisconsin, Trapper Art. When I got to my mom's, they were already waiting on me, and I was so excited. And then I realized the season was over, you know, legally. <laughs> so, you know, that, so, but anyway, I, I did a bunch of water trapping. I did coyote trapping. I mean, I would catch, you know, 15, 20 coyotes a year, but it was mostly water trapping at the time, and I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that. And then I started beaver trapping for a county. So that's when I started getting paid. And then about two years into that, the guys are going, can you catch coyotes? I'm like, I can, but I can't do that while I'm doing it for the county because they hired me for beaver. So they put pressure on the county to allow me to do coyotes. So that's kind of when I started splitting time between water and land, and it got a lot more serious on the land. And that's when I took instruction from Craig O'Gorman and Mm -hmm. uh, Ron and Pete Leggett and stuff like that. And that's kind of what jump-started all that.
0: See, what was the, uh, why did they hire you to trap coyotes? Were were there depredation issues and stuff like that in the county, or how did that work out?
2: Yeah, it was just farmers that would, they would, Mm -hmm. you know, one would lose a calf, then like 20 of them would spaz out thinking about losing a calf. Sure. And a lot of times, um, it was actually just feral dogs or domestic dogs. That would you yeah. know run a calf, but in their mind it couldn't have been a dog; it had to be a be a cow. Mm-hmm. And and there was some of them like a guy tried to start a goat farm and he bought like thirty goats, in the couch. He's right up next to the mountain, and it was like, two months later he was down to two goats that were scared crapless and wouldn't get out of the barn. So there was depredation, but it wasn't what the farmers thought it was most of the time. But it got me right. where I just could. Okay, I'm gonna trap beaver till you know, go run traps till twelve, then I'm gonna set traps for coyotes the rest of the day, and and I got to where I was averaging about a hundred to hundred and forty coyotes while I was doing that, still catching beaver. Wow,
0: that's impressive. What I'd like to uh, really pick your brain on what what would you say and i I know you mentioned instruction i actually wanted to to follow up on that later so don't don't let me forget that what made you the clint you are now just that i'll I'll, i you said it's bad form to call other people it but i'll say you're a modern day wolfer what is it that that made you it was it time was critters caught was there something that clicked that just turned it on and then he's you put it into overdrive was it a really good fur market what because it's been a it's definitely been a jerk you know there's guys you know that's not to say there's some places that you know 20 30 coyotes is is respectable you know i i literally just started doing some land trapping and stuff i actually just caught my first coyote yesterday and i can tell you (laughs) 20 and 30 seems like a like a a far away you know you know what i mean and so it's you know, when you're just starting out, you know the first one seems like a huge mountain. So, w- was there something in particular? Was it the instruction? Was it like running with these legends? What 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 did it? I th-
2: I think there's two things actually. Um, one, I've got a, I've always had like from sports, and then it it was uh, expanded on in the military, being very driven, and mm-hmm. and um almost a sadistic pleasure in pushing myself. Mm -hmm. And then you add that on top of, when I met Craig, he was like that times 10, so it was like uh, I could see the dedication on a daily basis in the grind that it takes to do that, and I enjoyed that. But for me personally, besides that part, which I think you have to have it's a curiosity thing with me, like, um, mm-hmm. like I, you know, you, you I, pretty much like everybody else, I'd start off with dirt holes <clears throat> and then I'd play around with flat sets and I'd play around with blind sets and play around with snares. And, but you know, it, I would say for the longest time, it would be like 70% dirt holes, a few flat sets here and there, a couple of blind sets and snares in the fence, you know, when I had mm-hmm. the opportunity and then mm-hmm. I, I, be honest with you, I got bored, and so mm-hmm. then I would go, okay, for the next sixty days while I'm working for the county, I'm not going to do anything but flat sets, mm-hmm. and th- then I'd go, I'm not going to do anything but blind sets, and then when I said I'm going to have to snare everything, that that was a lot tougher, you know, because it, not all train is set up for snaring. And, and then I got to learn more about the animals, and then it, it's it's a constant curiosity in trying to be on the level of the animal that gets way beyond what is the set, what is the location, stuff like that. I, I think that mm-hmm. is what's helped me. Is it's a it's a constant curiosity of trying to, for one, try to simplify it to the point of one day I want to be able to drive down the road and throw traps out of the window and get a coyote out of it the next morning. To me, that's the (laughs) ultimate way to coyote trap. Right. Right.
0: And that's, that's incredible. And that, you know, there's something about, and I'm sure, you know, guys like this that know everything, you know, I'm sure we all have buddies that are like that, that know every last thing. And I think, I think the most interesting people are the ones that really understand and also the smartest people that really know and understand that i'm just scratching the surface you know i could i could chase beavers for 10 lifetimes and i could still learn more you know what i mean and i think that's really incredible and you have a despite all your accomplishments in the industry as a man as a you know husband all these things all these things that you've done I'm, i'm always really blown away by how humble you are and how down to earth you are every time we spoke i've just been just enjoy, you know, I'm not trying to blow too much smoke up your ass I'll try to get some harder questions later but, <laughs> but, but I'm, it's just it's incredible it really is it's great talking with you um,
2: Well, well and I'll be honest with you it's because I realize I don't know very much like if, if there was a way to have all of the information that you could have on coyotes and bobcats and fox and all of that I think by the time we're like 90 even the best of best trappers have probably done 30%. Mm-mm. I really believe yeah. that. So I mean, there's yeah. there's nothing to have an ego about because I realize there's a whole lot I don't know.
0: Sure. I, I you know, it's 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 speaking to me too because, you know, I'm a similar to yourself in, in a way, just one small way. I'm also an adult onset trapper and hunter. So I got, I don't know if you hunted as a kid, but like, I I grew up fishing. I'm a pretty decent angler. It was later on, I started getting concerned. You know, I started getting into a little bit of the, the prepping side of stuff and Mm -hmm. really like to take up hunting. And then through that, you know, I had curiosity about, you know, coyote calling and trapping and and that sort of thing. And I just, I didn't, I didn't understand it. I just had this weird, you know, this weird draw to it and and then it, when I watched, there was an episode of uh, the show Meteor with
2: Steve Renella. I don't know if you watch it. On the I've seen it several times. Yeah, yeah, he does one on
1: on trapping beaver, and I was like, I got to do that. I want to try beaver
0: meat. I'd heard you talk about it. I was like, I gotta, I gotta try. I gotta see what this is all about. And that's how I got into trap red. That's how I figured it out. That's how I got a better understanding of why you need to manage predators and stuff like that. So, you know, I do feel a certain kinship as someone who you know didn't have the luxury of going out with their grandfather and setting traps. You know, in fact, a few years back, I took my grandfather out trapping for the first mm. time, which was fun.
2: <laughs> well, I, I, took um, my, I took my dad. He's never really showed much interest. He's been supportive. But we did the BMP studies like 10 or 12 years ago when they were doing all that. And um, uh-huh. he went out with me one day on the boat with the, the TWA guy, which is kind of like the referee I guess is what you call sure. calling sure and my dad started looking at tracks and he really sucked at it but it was fun watching my dad turn into a kid because he's never thought about tracks mm-hmm. and then he's like you know he would find you know like he thought he'd find a raccoon track it'd be a possum track. And then he would start figuring out these are raccoon tracks and then he's like a little kid running around trying to get it and to me that was the coolest thing to watch oh that's awesome
0: And I love, I love bringing my voice out. I got one who's a stone cold killer and I got one who's, who likes it, but he's not as much, but yeah, kids are even again, bringing anybody, you know, bringing Mm -hmm. anybody out on the line. And just, some people just have no idea. And just to watch them, just get a little taste, you know, the other day, when I walked up on that coyote in that burn circle, Oh man, I just, (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I, I, I actually, one of the first people I called is a mutual friend of ours, Bill Bailey. I was like, Bill, I'm in trouble. I'm like, I'm, I'm hooked. I'm like, I'm going to have to do more of this. It's not just going to be beavers from now on. <laughs> um, we, we talked about instruction. Um, so, let me name off a few that I can recall. So, O'Gorman, Leggetts, right? Mm-hmm. Both of the, both of the Leggetts. Um, did you, did you, um, did you do anything with Dobbins?
2: No. No, the only time okay. the only time I met Dobbins was at a convention, and he, i didn't know who he was—and he mm-hmm. took some of my traps basically out of my hands and started taking them apart, and I started freaking out because I didn't know. <laughs> but if <I> I'd <laughs> known do then what I know now, I'd have just put those on the shelf. <laughs>
0: um, let's see. Um, I know. I know. I'm, I'm forgetting. So, oh, uh, one of the ones that I really like to talk about. You. You ran with Newt for a while. Yes, Newt Sterling. Yes, that I gotta say, what what was that like? Because he's a heck of a character. I've I've only spoke to him a few times and run into him, but of of your videos, the ones like Riverin with Newt,
2: that's one of my that's one of my favorites that I just love to throw on. Well, the, the the cool thing about those two DVDs is there was no acting or setting anything up. That's just the way it was all day. You could you know what you could tell it too because the. the the fun you
0: guys are having is infectious and you're still, and you're hammering critters, you're yeah. working hard, but you're still, you, you just watch it and you can just see like, that's what it's all about.
2: I mean, we were, make, we would make bets all day on different sets. <laughs> that would work and, and, um, he's, he's got a knack for like a bottom edge set for beaver and otter that to me make no sense whatsoever and we would make bets and he would win about 60% of the time, 60, 70% of the time. And I would, I would just be dumbfounded.
0: <laughs> he's like, let me peel off another 20. All right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, if you could, and I, I know you talked about it before, what was, what did you, what was the biggest thing you took away from O'Gorman? Cause it, he's, he's a, he's a, a juggernaut in the industry. And again, love him or hate him you got to respect he's he's done a lot you know and he has i think i think some people have a problem with him if maybe maybe they think he's he's braggadocious but when you've looked at the list of that man's accomplishments in one lifetime it's mm-hmm. how how could you not flex a little bit you know
2: well the the, the, the see the things that stand out the most is he he looked at trapping the way A Navy SEAL would look at warfare mm. or, uh, uh, you know, something like, uh, an FBI back before we have whatever's going on now. But, you know, yeah. the guys that were really professional and were like super hardcore about what they did, he, mm-hmm. he looked at trapping like he was running, uh, Google. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was that serious, that planned out. Everything was with purpose and I've never seen, you know, being around other trappers. I've never seen anything like that. I mean, to him, it was, it was the ultimate professional. And then the more, the second time I got out there, where you get past just meeting somebody, his knowledge of how coyotes react and where they go and where they come from, it, it was, it was just. All those years of experience, it was like it was—you couldn't comprehend it in in a, in a few days. Sure,
0: and that's and that's you know anyone who starts trapping once you once you learn that biology and really know you know that's what I'm I'm just scratching the surface with that with one animal with beaver you know what I mean I'm just starting to be, all right they're going to do this they're going to do that they're going to probably do this oh if they do this I know to do this you know it's 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 that sort of thing but yeah when you when you get that that biology you own them Mm -hmm. they can't they can't go against their nature that's their nature you know it's that old that old. it's like the old proverb with the the scorpion and the frog and i won't do the whole thing but why'd you sting me well i'm a scorpion that's what i do Mm -hmm. you know that's that's their nature um who else am i forget who else have you Who else have you studied with and i'm not trying to you know disrespect
2: any anyone you studied with
0: if there's a but if there's a favorite a couple favorites or some that you really took something away from that really you know, put your world on its
2: edge or whatever. Uh, I spent about a week with Johnny, which is a very Mm -hmm. different style of trapping, but it was, it was a lot of the little stuff that he talked about made a big difference. Uh, I've trapped with Randy Smith several times (laughs) and he's the closest thing. I would say maybe him, Phil Brown and, uh, oh crap. The guy to Southern Missouri that's real big in the FTA. He does a lot of beaver, and I think he did like 900 coyotes this year. Um, You're not talking about red hair. No, no, he does have well, red sorry. hair. He does have red hair. Hmm. I can't believe I can't, I'm, if he hears this, I'm going to be embarrassed. Um, well, he'll forgive you, I'm sure. Yeah, but all three of them are or what I, or look at it the way Craig does, and Randy was the same way, but it was a, it was a speeded up version of, like Randy, when he goes trapping, he's got to have people come in periodically because normal humans can't keep up with him, and that's not an exaggeration. You don't want to be wow. with him more than like four or five days, you know, or because let just
0: run you ragged.
2: Yeah, because it's it's nonstop and it's 150 miles an hour. And then with Red, uh, when he took me out and was going over all this coon stuff, I didn't realize coon. I've ne- I've never thought of coon. He looks at coon the way I look at coyotes, right, right. And when when it, when I start when it started clicking, I'm like, holy crap, this is a different world, because what all the guys that trap around red don't realize, he doesn't trap where they trap, but they all think he does. He's like he's like in he's got a PhD in coon, and he's out doing his thing, catching his thousand. And they're, they're like in a slugfest under a bridge and right, he's just right. not playing that game.
0: You talking about like Iowa, when you roll up there and there's yeah, 18 yeah. sets under one culvert. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, but he, <laughs> he won't even, he won't even stop there. There's no yeah. reason there's bigger coon that no one else is setting. Yeah. I think you've said that before about Johnny too, about catching the fur before it even gets to those spots, knowing the animals so well mm-hmm. that you're going to say, Hey, before it even goes there I know it's going to go here yeah Johnny was a master of deception he would yeah. set sets up well, one he knew everybody was going to uh, do a suicide set at the bridge Sure. and he knew there's going to be somebody that comes along after that so he would make a set for them that was really good so he knew where his competition was always at so he could cut both of them off <laughs> and he knew Meek well enough to know if they were going to be going upstream or downstream depending on the time of the year. Wow. And so he was always so far ahead of everybody else trying to catch the same mink that they just didn't know it.
0: That's incredible. Yeah. I remember you mentioned on a podcast, something about a fruit that drew him ballistic and he just kept that,
2: kept that to himself. Mm-hmm. I have a theory on what it is. I'll do it after. I'll, I'll, I'll ask after
0: the, after the recording. um, that's that's really cool that's i mean i feel like you're very you're very fortunate that you were able to like exist in a time to some of these legends you know i Mm -hmm. got into you know some of these some of these folks because i'm again you know i'm only i'm only 30 years old you know uh jeremiah who's started this whole thing you know i think he's maybe 37 38 you know so we're a little bit on the other end of things where we didn't get to quite you know rub shoulders with some of those guys you know we talk about instruction, you know, that's, uh, we could talk about, I suppose we could talk about your school a little bit if you'd like, but i have just, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things I, I tell people, like, I would like to take instruction from you, but there are some older guys that I really want to get to first, just cause God forbid they are a little bit, you know, a little bit older, you know, you I, know I, what I mean? I, I
2: totally get it, man. I mean,
0: you know, um, Let's, um, well, we'll talk about the school later. Let's, um, what, so when you started, when you started, do you start, I assume you started with the books before the DVDs?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, the first, well, i take that back. I've I've got some of O'Gorman's VHSs. I'm trying to think when that was.
0: Oh, my bad. I was, I, I meant your, your books and your DVDs.
2: Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I started with, uh. Well, VH... I mean, we could talk
0: about O'Gorman for hours, I'm sure. Yeah. It would be an awesome podcast, but I, I think the people are coming here to see you.
2: <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I started VHS. Uh, I was doing uh, all that beaver work and the, you know all the, all this odd stuff, because I treated beaver the same as everything else. Like, I would go, okay, this month I'm not doing anything but number two Coal Springs. Well, hmm. go out and run a trap line in every situation with a number two Coal Spring. you got to get creative, yeah. And the same with snares and body grips and two twenties and, and I just forced myself all the time to learn or I'd get bored. Right. And, right. um,
0: I, 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 thought, so when I first started laying footholds cause I'm from Massachusetts. So all my beavers had to be cages and occasionally we could pull a permit for corner bears. So when I first started trapping other States, all I wanted to do was set for holds. Mm-hmm. And from your advice, I literally,
2: I didn't set anything before holds for Beaver. Yeah. And, it, and make, I, it makes you become good at it. You know,
0: it's, it's one of my favorite It's one of my favorite ways to catch up. And I haven't dabbled much in snares yet. Um, there's a state just North of me that does allow snaring, but they don't allow non-residents, uh, to fur trap there. Mm-hmm. So i if they lift that, they, if they lift that, it's like a hundred year old law that they, you can't non-residents can't fur trap beaver and otter. I've done control work up there. I had a job for a railroad I did up there and, um, you know, but the, the weird thing with the law is that because eh, neither here out there basically, um, that's, that's on next on the hit list is to get really start messing with some cable. Mm-hmm. Um, so you started doing the VHS when did you, um, what was, what was your first book?
2: first book was Mindset of a Professional
0: oh that's a good one if anyone hasn't picked it up it
2: is it's incredible it's my favorite I know when people read that they think that's just the way I'm not that way as much anymore at 50 almost 53 Mm -hmm. but that's actually how I thought about everything I mean and it's And people, I mean, some people think it's like just a motivational book, but that, to me, that was just, that's the way you had to think.
0: There's one, that's, that's one of your pieces of work that I've, I've lost sleep over (laughs) because the way that book is, I'll be sitting in bed with a calculator, just dreaming and scheming Mm -hmm. (laughs) just, and just getting fired up and. God God bless my fiance. She said, what are you doing? What are you on your phone? Ah, oh, just I'm just crunching some numbers, don't mind me. <laughs> because that's a lot of that book is, you know, breaking down how you can make a living at this. And that's right. I mean that's that's what I'm doing, you know, so it's mindset is a is a fantastic read and again a lot of the it's like it's like math for trappers and I never I never much cared for math, but man, money math sure is fun. Mm hmm um so then i've you only have you have three books there's, there's so the mindset of a professional then B- um,
2: beaver blitzkrieg eastern wolfer
0: yeah beaver blitzkrieg i that's one i read i read that at least once a year that just gets me oh, there, there's something about you know just the, the the title in itself the whole lightning war idea <laughs> of trapping beaver <laughs> Ooh, that's one of those ones but I, if you haven't read any of Clint's stuff, you really are doing yourself a disservice pick it up Clint and I don't I don't mean any disrespect from this, I hope you don't take it that way Clint's style of writing is just raw and gritty it's like, it's uh, like if you ever, this is a little bit out there but like Hunter Thompson, like that gonzo journalism, just in your face like, you know cut the throats take no prisoners just raw gritty you know it's um it's like the opposite if you've ever read i just i'm reading one of slim
2: peterson's books Mm -hmm. and man he is
0: he has a certain there's like there's like poetry to it
2: right? right right
0: there's like his writing is beautiful like he could he could stand up with some of the best writers in my opinion like i read a lot he can stand up with some of the best writers with the way he writes your writing is good in the way it's like it's like rock and roll it's like heavy metal you know it, it's if it's just, if you don't if you don't start getting fired up you don't have a soul you know
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> well when i wrote that book i mean that that's when i was doing uh, between 900 and 1100 beavers a year so i mean that was completely my life at the time. And the Eastern Wolfer was when I was doing completely Predators. Okay. And I, and I wrote the Eastern Wolfer actually in Texas at night while I was down there for months because wow. I figured I'd be in the right frame of mind. Cause there's no one down there with me at that time. So it's, you know, I'd get done trapping. I'd
1: pull out the computer and I would, I would just go. Wow after after hammering on them doing control work all day probably 14 16 hour days
2: yeah I mean you still you're pulling out cactus and writing at the same time I mean it was as real as you can get with the mindset of, of someone that's doing it
0: wow and then your your videos though as as much sleep as much sleep as I've lost from mindset of a professional I've gained it back from your beaver handling dvd they, i broke we broke even on that because that one that one helped me out so so damn much you have no idea my i think my first beaver i think my first beaver took me like two hours and some change when mm-hmm. i first put one up so and i was still getting it I'm, I'm still not as fast as some of the folks i know but but it's uh it's no longer like a Unsurmountable burden if I
2: get a bunch. of Well, dude, it's it's just it's just repetitive. I mean, it it was at the point I could watch Braveheart in the lure shop while I skinned and fleshed. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, it's muscle memory. It is. It's
0: muscle memory. Uh, it's It's
2: just constant. If you ever get to see Randy skin a coyote, like on combines and coyotes, he skins a coyote as fast as I skin a beaver off the tailgate of a truck.
0: Now that's incredible because I mean, I, I struggle even just having a, you know, just having a gambrel and stuff. <laughs> Never mind without a, without like a winch
2: and stuff. maybe you mm-hmm. got a winch and stuff, you're, 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 you're golden. Mm
0: hmm. Um, oh, that's my train of thought there. Um, <clears throat> so what was your, what was your favorite DVD to make?
2: Probably Cat Collector. Yeah. Because I, I looked at that, that was the first one that I looked at trying to make an actual, how can I put this? Like, m- most DVDs, mine included, up to that point where you just throw a camera up, you talk about what you're doing, you show an animal here and there, you show some sets, and and it's, it's not visually... Uh, the the visuals not that important right because right. And that's and the, yeah. yeah
0: no go ahead yeah it's 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 a it's a, it's a problem in the trapping industry right. i was i was just talking to somebody the other day and i was like we need to look at there's a project upland or like those those fancy those fancy fly fishing videos where they have like drone shots and stuff like that's how we should be making trapping mm. trapping stuff that's how we should be making the content we need to step it little you know it is there are some ones that, and, and across the board, there are a lot of um, trap and DVDs that are, you know, they could, they lack a little in, in cinematography, if you will.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, but that's the way it just was forever. I mean, it was it's it's almost like a guy just shooting without thought a YouTube video with his phone. That's kind of the way that it right. was. And then. With and about it, as shaky too. Yeah. And with the cat collector, I mean, I had. I went. I bought an HD camera, which was a big deal back then. And, you know, now you got 4K and 8K and all kind of crazy stuff. But I mean, sure. I had a TV camera. I bought an expensive tripod. I moved it around all the time. I actually took. I made sure that I had three extra hours a day while I was trapping so I could take the time to try to shoot that. Where did you learn that? Uh, just watching. I would just watch Outdoor Channel, you know, and I would watch movies and and um, you know some of the stuff I have tried to do is not in there. It didn't work, you know. I try to try to do sometimes some crazy stuff, but uh, <laughs> just you know what, what makes what makes a movie just something that's more interesting to watch, you know. And I'm sure. I'm not really a computer person. So like I've seen uh, I'm trying to think of there's a there's a guy that makes uh cow videos on YouTube where he like slows down when he's hitting the stake and the dirt and it's it's just visually more interesting to watch. You know, he sure, he does sure. a lot of uh, effects but it doesn't really overtake what he's doing. It's just it's just right. more it's tasteful. Vis- tasteful. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's like, uh, you know who does a pretty good job of that, I will say, give them a little shout-out is the Hoosier guys, the Hoosier trapline guys, like Charlie Nacek okay. and Justin Jett. You watch any of their stuff?
2: Not really. I, I don't... It I don't watch a lot of trapping. I don't even read a trapping magazine. I haven't in 10 years. And hmm. in, in the, the reason is... This is going to sound funny, maybe, but... Not that not that I know. There's probably not stuff I can learn, but the way that I trap now, I don't want that other stuff going in my head to muddle stuff. Does that make sense?
0: So, as somebody who's just started really getting after land trapping with footholds, yes, it really does. Because as um, my buddy Blake calls it, analysis paralysis. Yes. Right. Where if you have a million and a half sets. In your head, oh, I could this. I gotta do this. I gotta do, and you just start, you know. Keep it simple, stupid. You Mm -hmm. know, like just you know, like you gotta you gotta walk before you can run. And I think too, yeah. There's something about when you when you get to the point where you come up with a set or a variation on a set. It's more organic, and maybe you're, maybe you're getting better data from that, or you're getting mm-hmm. better. Okay, this worked, this didn't work. You know what I mean? Because you do an oddball set, you catch a critter, you're like, this is the best thing since sliced bread. Mm-hmm. This is it. This is this is this set. I'm gonna I'm gonna extirpate this animal from North America with this set, and then it's it's not. So well, if- I do I I get that. It is it's something I struggle with because man, I love consuming traffic content. You know, whether it be podcasts or it be videos, mm-hmm. I love talking to trappers. I love reading old books and stuff like that. But yeah, it can be, it can be uh, overwhelming. And then next thing you know, you got half of one system and half of another system mm-hmm. and, and six other ideas of ways to set traps all half-assed, thrown together, you know?
2: Well, plus, you, you get, I mean, and, and like I said, this is very different from what I used to, I used to consume content like a vacuum cleaner. Mm-hmm. But, like, I'm the experiments that I run now, I don't want to have any, like, what people say is right or wrong, or rules, or you have to do this. Um, right. Like I, I've been playing around with something for the last couple of years that's not a flat set, a dirt hole, or a blind set. And it goes mm. against everything that we've been taught in trapping, which I'm not going to go into. but Because I'm still I'm still playing around with it. But um, I would have never done that. And I guarantee you, Zagger would have never done the way he beds a trap with his pipe dream. By consuming a crap ton of content, because there's, you just wouldn't work, or I'd have never done the portable pocket for coyotes and stuff like that, because it goes right. against what is the norm.
0: Sure. Yeah. No. That's 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 a, that's a good point. And there's, it's always a constant battle of, you have to learn the rules, but then you got to be, you can't be. So I don't think, I don't think in many places that there's like. There's not commandments of trapping, per se.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: know what I mean? There's not a thou shall not. It's like, it's probably better if you do it this way, but there might be an exception.
2: Well, you know? I mean, it's crazy. Think about it. I, I'm a huge component of very, it, it, solidly bad traps. That's that's a rule that I've kind of, that, that's, that's hard for me to get around. Well, you go watch um, Bob Wint. I mean, it, it it's it's floating around in there like it's on jelly. You you can't argue with the man's catches, right? Right. You know, and th- that's kind of where people get. You know, I mean, I think you got to set on location, and absolutely, and you've got to work with what the animal's nature is, and then pretty much after that, it's just creativity.
1: Okay, hope you enjoyed that part one interview with Glint. Stay tuned for next week, part two. We're going to get into a bunch of other topics. And uh, now it's time for the Cots Bros message of the week. Now, I know a lot of you guys are first-time trappers and you get started and you're listening to the podcast and you're getting going, you catch a few animals and you have some success and you start getting really excited and interested in trapping, right? And you get obsessed kind of to the point where you start to think about all of the different aspects of trapping one of those aspects is going to be lure making I know it is because it hit me too and probably oh 150 episodes ago I talked about lure making and how I was going to do this uh, big project on the podcast and go through a bunch of different details on lure making and as it turned out I just did not have the time to devote to that particular aspect of things uh, for the podcast. So, uh, But I know what it's like to, to really get into lure making and and to uh, want to experiment with things. And if you are looking for a place to get your lure making supplies, Cotspros has the best selection of lure making supplies of anybody in the industry that I'm aware of. Um, the second, you know, maybe F&T has close to... The inventory Bros has. Now, Bros might not have you know a lot of other things in trapping that maybe that you're looking for, but when it comes to lure making, they're gonna have every single ingredient that you could find anywhere, and they're gonna have the best prices for those ingredients. So k a a t z b r o s K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com, and search around for their lure making stuff. Uh, they've got pretty much, no, not pretty much, they have everything you're gonna need. Uh, In Lure Making, every possible ingredient you can imagine. And there's also a couple of lure making DVDs that Kellen Kotz has put together. So check them out as well. Uh, One is called In the Lure Room and the second is Cracking the Code. So hope you enjoy that and thank you guys for tuning in. It's always great to have you. Until next time, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping. We'll catch you on the next episode.